If Cork's plan A breaks down, the plan B doesn't work at all. So Limerick have Cork's plan A down to a T. They can neutralise that and then Cork's plan B is just not working because they don't seem to have one. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. Well, if there's one thing Mayo enjoy, it's a qualifier. Big wins for Galway and Donegal. Goals plenty in Leinster. Some shock results there. Billy Joe Padden on the weekend's football coming your way. Monday Night Rugby on a 69-0 defeat for Ireland at Welford Road. Plus a very eventful URC weekend. Keen Tracy, Keith Wood after 8 o'clock. We have Pat Nevin on the football show. Liverpool keeping pace with Man City. We have Lampard and Everton facing the doomsday scenario and much more besides. 53106, the text number. We're at off the ball on Twitter. Dave McIntyre with us. Hello, Dave. Hello. Hi, Joe. How are you? Very well. Great to have you with us. Richie McCormack, as ever, and ever present. Hello, Richie. Gents, good evening. evening. Uh, One of my favourite quotes from the weekend, virtual via, excuse me, uh, of uh, Paul Scholes. He was talking after Manchester United's defeat against Arsenal and he said... It's a disaster of a dressing room. I had a quick chat with Jesse Lingard the other day and I'm sure he won't mind me saying the dressing room's just a disaster. I mean, I think he might. I think he might. Does Paul Scholes not understand how all this works? Private conversations. It's not like he didn't spend 15 years in a Manchester United dressing room. So uh, Jesse Lingard suddenly opening his phone going, oh, Paul, I mean, yeah, I didn't say off the record. I didn't think this was Alan Shipnick, Phil Mickelson, Dave. <laughs> yeah, look, I, do, I wouldn't say Jesse Lingard is overly perturbed. I mean, he knows he's not going to be there once June 30th arrives. So he's only got a few more weeks to spend at that club on it. So he cannot wait to get out of the place. And he, maybe he doesn't really care less anymore what uh, he says privately if it goes publicly. And it's not like it's newsworthy, is it? It's um, something that it would shock nobody. I mean, the dressing room clearly is a disaster. Scott McTominay, uh, of, his, of his own volition, pretty much said the exact same thing in the aftermath of that defeat to Arsenal, where he said there are major problems in the dressing room and off the field of the club, all the way to the top and down to the players. So, yeah, and maybe Jesse Lingard wasn't expecting it to go public through Paul's goal but given that it has I would be surprised if he's too shocked or, or too upset about it McTominay does enjoy a good this place is an absolute mess absolute post-match mess. interview actually uh, bless him he's pretty honest about things I'm not going to I'm not going to sully not going to sully this news round by once again talking about Manchester United uh, don't worry so a weekend of GA what caught your eye Richie? Um, it would have to be Mayo uh, mayo mayoing things in a way I think it's something that Mick touched upon the show when it was on on Thursday that these kind of wins in the Connacht Championship between the two sides tend to come in clusters and uh, Mayo had had their last three uh, wins on the bounce against Galway in the Championship and then Galway fronted up and put in the performance that Mayo didn't seem capable of yesterday and it comes back to stuff we were talking about in the show last week which is like what is Mayo's best foot forward here and you know is there like, is there a level that Mayo are actually at? Because they vacillate so wildly across the graph that you don't really know what the true side is. And you can point towards changes in personnel and you can point towards them being ahead of the curve last year, et cetera, et cetera. But I still don't think we'll we'll ever get any great sense of, of what this current crop of Mayo players actually is and what their true capability is because they just... Uh, they will let you down. Like, I don't, I don't uh, bring bring the Spurs Arsenal kind of comments towards their their name, but like they will at certain points let you down. And if they're going to go towards winning the championship, and I would suggest that given their performances in the league final and given the performances yesterday, uh, going deep in the championship is probably beyond them uh, this year. And they can by all means pin that to the dressing room wall. Um, what is their level? I, I'm, I'm, I genuinely get confused by them. 
I suppose they'll go away now for six weeks, have another almost pre-season and then come back and probably go very well in the qualifiers. And you would not be surprised to see them in an All-Ireland semi-final and or beyond and have one big performance in them. But like, there are some uh, serious failings there for sure, like you're right. And wasn't it interesting, you know, uh, like after the league finals, there was a sense that, well, Mayo had rope-a-doped everyone against Kerry and hadn't put their real foot forward. As to why you would do that, by the way, in a league final, I'm not entirely sure. But that Galway were very disappointed with the way they had played against Roscommon. And then lo and behold, three weeks on, Dave, we have uh, Kieran Malloy, Dylan McHugh, very much in the double sweeper role, Galway shoring things up, which we had not seen against Roscommon. And, uh, they, well, they knew what May were going to throw at them and they were ready for it. They were. And it was no surprise that Galway opted to t- go down the route of tightening things up, given how open they were against Roscommon in that league final. And the the enormity of the score that Ross Common managed to rack up in that game. I was impressed with Galway. It was, I think a defeat for Galway would have done more damage to the dam than this defeat will have done to Mayo. Mm. Corey mm. Joyce was under a lot of pressure. I think you could tell from his reaction and the reaction of his backroom staff when the full-time whistle went. It looked like they'd won a Connacht final and not just a, a, their, their opening round of the Connacht Championship. I fully expect Mayo to be in the All-Ireland Series. I'd be very surprised if they weren't, unless they end up coming up against one of the big sides in the run to that uh, All-Ireland quarter-final and someone, one, one of the big two in that tie have to go out. Mayo will look back on this as one that really they left behind them. They kicked 12 wides. Galway only kicked three. Mayo created more openings. They made more mistakes. They had more chances. Galway were so efficient in front of goal. They played that double sweeper system really intelligently in that they actually just pushed them in field a little and weren't overly upset by Mayo having the ball in wider areas and happy enough for Mayo to shoot from those sorts of areas which is one of the contributing factors to Mayo having racked up 12 wides don't know why Kevin McLaughlin was left on the bench for as long as he was thought he showed real um, composure in kicking that ball that point off his weaker right foot I think he should have been on 5 or 10 minutes earlier Um, but I think when we get through to the end of this year's championship Mayo will have recovered from this and they're going to have a major say at the business end so it's not the worst of results for Mayo it's a huge result for Mm -hmm. Galway Mm -hmm. and they'll really have an opportunity now to go on and win a Connor title Yeah you really could see it in the full time celebrations I mean for Joyce who's been there a while now this was massively needed Uh, Mayo 31 shots to Galway's 22 Mayo less than a 50% conversion rate which is way down on the standards they would be looking to hit upwards of 60 and above would be a target you suspect for them so just a really iffy day at the office but again I agree with you they'll they'll regroup I mean they just the hits keep on coming they keep taking them getting back up six week lead in potentially to their next game they'll have another pre-season and then uh, well there were goals of plenty in Leinster and then Donegal Armagh was the other game people were intrigued by this was kind of interesting in that Armagh were 5-4 up started okay and then Donegal wrestled back control they were 3 up by half time the Reno Neal goal was disallowed and then Sean Patton made a good save from an Aiden Aiden Nugent shot and a moment later uh, Donegal breezed through score a point and then the McBrady goal they're up by seven and it's it's game over and it finishes with a seven-point deficit. So Donegal have this, uh, yeah, I still can't fully trust them aspect, but this is a massive win for them. And then Armagh, Dave, I mean, I, I've listened to you interview Kieran McGinney on a couple of occasions, brilliant interviews. And, you know, the day Kildare let him go, I think was a bad day. But he's had a long tenure now and there is a, a trend of Armagh flattering to deceive in these these types of Ulster Championship matches for whatever reason. I think this is his eighth Ulster Championship as Armagh manager. I could, I stand to be correct on that. I think it's his yeah, eighth. He's yeah, won three yeah, matches. Yeah. It is, yeah. It is. That's a shocking record. And his legendary status within the county has allowed him continue with that sort of a record 
combined with improved um, performances in the league and a couple of decent qualifier runs they got to the All-Ireland quarterfinal one of the years they are now a Division 1 team they've retained their status they played beautifully against Dublin in the opening weekend of the league and won that game but his Ulster Championship record is just it's dreadful and I don't know how they end up continuing to be in this sort of a position they flirt with you they they point towards massive improvement they have you leading yourself to believing that there's real improvement taking place that will then be produced and the evidence of it will be there in the championship and when it comes to the white heat of the championship they always let themselves down I was commentating on that Monaghan Armagh game last year one of the games of the championship but they were pretty much done at half time it was an extraordinary comeback from that that almost saw them snatch it but they performed so badly in the first leading themselves wide open Monaghan had three goals on the board before you could blink an eye and yet again in the Ulster Championship it's happened once more now I have only seen the highlights of this game and I've listened to some stuff around the game and I've read some stuff and all of it was incredibly negative towards Armagh and they it, it was pointing towards a team that never really landed a punch but I spoke to a Donegal man today who watched the game in full and he said well actually Armagh were only a couple of points down at the break and had the better of the opening 10 minutes in the second half mm. and just kicked two or three really poor wides. And had they managed to find a couple of scores, it actually could have been very different. They're not dissimilar to Mayo in that I think Armagh could take out a big team in the qualifiers. They do tend to perform in recent history better outside of Ulster than they have done in the province in recent years. Now, obviously, that's not too hard. Three wins in eight years would tell you that. But they have gone on a couple of runs in the qualifiers over the years under McGuini. And I can't, I'm expecting that to happen again. Yeah, the shocking thing from Armagh at the weekend was on numerous occasions they had men back. Donegal player has the ball seemingly on the outside of a blanket-esque defence and got by two or three players and either popped a pass or kicked the score himself. Intercounty football, if you run with the ball, generally you get swallowed up pretty quickly. Armagh were tackling like a club team, which was really surprising and not what you would associate with uh, McGinney. So we'll have to see how they re-emerge in a couple of weeks' time. Texting top Paul Conroy, unreal yesterday, always some player in his day, great servant, Jay was exceptional. Follows up the play beautifully, like really well-timed runs, gets on the end of a lot of uh, Galway play and, and scored some good points he was very good playing in the image of Joyce says Tom and Tune. this is a Galway team we can get behind I see I wonder this is a, a touch here of like gaining a reputation for getting up early you can sleep in all day Richie I mean, like double sweeper back there surrendering possession to Mayo I don't like this was not all out attack on Galway's part at all no it wasn't and it's like it's something that, that uh, we'll get to the clip in a minute but Colin Boyle was talking to Ashling after the match and he was saying like Galway aren't exceptional at all and you would figure that you know a big gun quote unquote will account for them um, you know probably sooner than they might anticipate um, but again that shows how unimpressive Mayo were to a degree like the in essence, they should have seen this coming and they should have, you know, almost comparable to what, you know, Everton did at Anfield yesterday. They should have seen what was coming their way and and accounted for it. And they didn't. And were like, were caught short by by a poor start, managed to pull themselves back into the game, but like, left themselves far too much road to travel yeah. uh, to get back into it. And Galway are fine. You know, they're grand. The win means a lot to them, but, you know, they're not going to cause anybody any great nightmares going forward. We should uh, get into the news round then. So that was uh, some thoughts on the GAA weekend that was the news round brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Richie as is tradition starting the news round with a golfing story can't help himself go on Rich I know I'm such a big fan I'm wearing Pringle uh, you know 
bits and pieces today, Joe. Uh, the K Club, meanwhile, confirmed as the host venue for the Irish Open for three of the next five years. The Kildare course will stage the event in 2023, 2025, and 2027. It's only hosted the Irish Open, would you believe, once before when Rory McIlroy was crowned the winner in 2016. The K Club's also going to host the Challenge Tours Irish Challenge in July, essentially in the off years, uh, which is going to be later this year, uh, towards the end of July 2024, then, and 2026. K Club spending money, Dave. Uh, course revamp. Seamus Power, Leona Maguire now uh, golfing pros, hosting the Irish Open three out of five years is uh, massive. It's a wonderful course, wonderful venue near Dublin. You couldn't fault it. And yet I think many of us would have the real nagging sense. And we saw this in La Hinch, for instance, that Irish Open, you would love it on a Lynx. Yeah, you would hope that the Irish Open in the two years that it won't be at the K Club will be on a Lynx course. And I, it's it's hard to know how to feel about this. It is a wonderful golf course and it has staged some brilliant tournaments in the past from the Ryder Cup to the Irish Open to the European Open. But it's samey in terms of it's a brilliant parkland course that is great to watch the top pros in the world playing it every so often. But three times in five is big. They're obviously backing it financially, which is great as well. And it does help continue to build the reputation of this event, which was salvaged pretty much by Rory McIlroy a few years back. Maybe it's in a position now where the event can stand on its own two feet without necessarily having to have that sponsor that has been McGinley, McDowell, Harrington, McIlroy over the years. Um, but as I said, I hope the other two years will be on links courses because I don't think we take enough of an opportunity to showcase the greatest links courses in the world that we have over here, uh, allied to those in the north and those in Scotland as well. But look, I didn't see a comment. Fair play to them. Mm. It's a huge, it's a mm. huge deal, and it it's a place that is really going places again now. Rich, you have some reaction from the GA weekend. Yeah, go with manager Pori Joyce dedicated yesterday's Connell quarterfinal win to the late Kate Moore and they beat Mayo as you mentioned 114 to 16 points at McHale Park despite Mayo winning the last three championship meetings of the sides Joyce says yesterday's result was in a sense overdue It's something we knew we, we were able to do like if you look at the game two years ago obviously in Mayo everyone put pressure on this we hadn't bet them the last two years two years ago we just kicked the ball and last year we just didn't we had them better at half time we didn't perform the second half so again like um, we got ahead today twice but we stayed ahead so at least we learned a bit from last year how to perform in the second half and highly it is a bit of relief to win the game obviously to get into the second round of the championship because the back door like we're still we're still going to see Mayo later in the summer there's nothing no shorter than that but just it gives us at least we give a game in two weeks time again to look forward to not waiting four or five weeks for a game and you don't know who you're going to get in the back door yeah it could be yeah. six weeks for Mayo potentially on results uh, you mentioned Colin Boyle was speaking afterwards yeah speaking to our own Ashley O'Reilly after the game Boyle said a poor Mayo start cost them dearly yesterday it might mean much to the supporters but I think it's important that Mayo finished the game well there you know they were six points down on the 33rd, 33rd minute that could easily gone to seven eight nine points and the game just look it looks like a hammer but they really fought back they showed I suppose that Mayo spirit that we're kind of used to over the last couple of years and they even had a shot there at the end Aid Norm to, to level the game you know a lot of people say you know was it the right shot to take on you know it was three minutes into injury time could have maybe recycled it it was a tough shot under pressure running away from goal it was probably going to be the only shot that Mayo took but look you have to give him credit he took on the shot just went to the left of the post and um, unfortunately not, not not to be for Mayo but look if we go back to it Ashley and I think I, I don't think Galway are exceptional by any means I think they you know they have a good bit of work to do as well going forward but I think today they were just they wanted that bit Mayo for Mayo and the game plan they had just set the stall out from the start and it got them over the line The other results Rich? 
Yeah, and Michael Murphy inspired Donegal advanced to the Ulster semis with that 116 to 12 point win over our man Bally Buffet. Loud set up a Leinster quarter final with Kildare by trouncing Carlo 510 to 10 points. Wexford earned the right to play Dublin with their 115 to 112 in over Offaly, and Wicklow beat Leash 515 to 412, and they have picked up a Leinster quarter final with Mead. Another poor start. This one for Tipperary cost them a second consecutive defeat in the Munster Hurling Championship. They're beating 321 to 216 by Clare and Thurless and Colin Bonner says Tip gave themselves too much to do. Yeah, it's just it's just disappointing that we put we that we left ourselves so much to do at half time and even though we came out and, and, and fought hard and maybe scored two nine, um, you know, with the breeze, uh, we scored a quick goal at the start of the second half. And for a, a team like you know, a young team we need to build momentum and we have maybe three or four pint chances and before you know it it's back to uh, eight pints or whatever and you know, you're in with a fighting chance because of a long bit of the game, but when they go wide it kinda does deflate you more and look it's just something we have to learn. Um games you know, uh, unless you're willing to keep fighting it out and, and, and keep working with the team that you're with, it can, you know, you can kind of get out of it quickly. But, you know, um, clear out just full value for the, for the win in the end. They sure were. Uh, text in, huge weekend of hurling. No mention of the hurling in the headlines. A very happy Claremont man up the banner. Yeah, we're going to do hurling in a big way tomorrow is the plan. So Eddie Brennan's going to join us. Uh, otherwise, we cram it in tonight. We wouldn't do it justice. So Eddie Brennan's going to be in the show tomorrow. We'll chat all things hurling. Really good win for Claire. Uh, not good for Tipperary. Shane O'Donnell back doing his thing. Dave, it's great to see him back and in the um, you know peak of fitness. And then there was the extraordinary game as well between Limerick and Waterford Saturday. Yeah, that was an absolute classic. I, I, I had to listen to that one on the radio because I was coming back from Wexford Park myself on Saturday evening. Um, and it did look like the game was dead and buried. The Limerick were doing what they do and they just strangled the opposition. They continued to take their scores. Nothing too flashy. Um, but the way Waterford came back and got those couple of goals and I was speaking to somebody at Wexford Park on Saturday evening before throwing in that Dublin-Wexford game and I just felt that this sort of a defeat the, the exact one that transpired from a Waterford point of view it isn't the worst thing in the world if they were going to lose to Limerick this year this is the one to lose they could potentially face them three times they're certainly not going to beat Limerick three times this year they may only need to beat them once it could be an All-Ireland final and to show themselves that they are capable of mixing it with Limerick of hurting them in some ways of staying with them at the end by getting those goals and making a real scrap of it in the last 10 minutes. I think Liam Cahillan as a water prepares well to take an awful lot away from that game and when it all gets totted up at the end of the year they won't be overly upset by the fact that they've been beaten in the round robin series. It's a monster final and a potential All-Ireland final. They're the days that they need to beat this Limerick team. It was just an amazing game. It really was and the first half aided by the fact it's 35 minutes but man it goes by quickly and you're, you're spending the weekend watching all this sport so like I was doing France-Wales and the Women's Six Nations for Virgin on the Friday night and then you watch Manchester United-Arsenal on the Saturday and then there's a bit of URC on and all of these sports are so stop-start and uh, dreadfully slow by comparison you stick on a game of hurling and you're just like you know like it's not in my bones and I never played it grown up but you kind of have to go this is the greatest sport of them all like it's just it's just so far and away so electric and compelling remember half time coming and, and like being like whoa where the hell did that go um, I think you're right Waterford quietly pleased but I think Limerick very quietly pleased as well to be honest I, I, the, kind of underlined for me Richie yeah we're saying Waterford aren't going to beat them uh, three times this year uh, on the Evans Saturday I don't think anyone's going to beat them once this year uh, it can happen. Well, obviously it can, it can happen. happen. I mean, I it can happen. <laughs> I like, the, well, the nature of the nature of the, the Munster Championship and, and obviously the Leinster Championship as well, and the hurling is that you do have these consecutive games. So there isn't a sense of play 
take two, three weeks like there will be in the football championship regroup and then come back again. It's bang, bang, bang. And you are at some stage during the course of the championship, no matter how good you are, you're going to get caught. It very nearly happened to them last year. It very nearly happened to them last year. And I wouldn't put, put it past someone like a Waterford, obviously later on down the down the road, uh, clipping them and, and asking them very serious questions again. But nobody uh, is unbeatable. And uh, I think there is, a, like a, it shows that Waterford can hang with them. Like it absolutely shows. It did, yeah. Possible. No, agree with that. It did, hundred yeah. percent. They could match them physically, match the intensity, and and that's a that's a huge that's a huge thing to take away from a game, regardless of, of the result, because there is almost a sense of, oh well, it's the Monster Championship. We're both going to get out of this group anyway. It's fine, yeah. Um, to a degree, to a degree, I'd say. But I I definitely think that that they're, they're gettable, Limerick. I don't think they're as far out in front as maybe the last couple of years may have suggested, because we have had some some odd years in terms of the environment that the game's been played in. So. Don't rule out water for just yet. Owen says the golf at the weekend was so boring. I turned it off for the first time in a long time. Cantley is like Father Stone. What? Patrick Cantley is electric. Dave, back me up. I heard you talking uh, in effusive terms of Patrick Cantley and golf weekly during the week, and I, I had to almost rewind and, and, and wonder: Did you actually say those words out loud? Were you? Well, you weren't taking the mick out of us, were you? He's incredibly boring. <laughs> he has absolutely <laughs> no charisma. There is no reason to get out of bed and turn on the TV and watch Patrick Cantley swim the golf club. He's metronomic, efficient, unbelievably talented, probably going to win a major in the next 18 months. But I wouldn't have him in the top 15 golfers in the world that would make me tune in just to watch him. I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, what I was saying in Golf Weekly is all of the above. But uh, no, it's, it's hard to say the man grabs you by the, your throat out through the TV screen. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that is happening. There's not. There's not uh, a charisma there to beat the band. I give you that. Thank you. Do you know? Funny enough, he's um, he's kind. Of, he's he's got more about him than you would think. If you, <laughs> there's a big if. If you were to watch one of his press conferences, wow. Yeah, I'm there, Joe. He's got a lovely, wry, dry sense of humour, and will like almost take the mick a little bit out of the journalists even in, like, in an incredibly dry way they mightn't have even fully cottoned on themselves that he's doing it but as for like presence on a TV screen playing golf no but oh he's a hell of a golfer Dave you give me that he's a hell of a golfer well obviously he's a hell of a golfer and he's a serial winner but you're reaching if you're telling us to tune into his press conferences to develop a likeness from the golfers <laughs> how, does, how does one how does one project a magnetism like that if you're a golfer through the TV screen what, like, what, what, is, what is he missing essentially that that's, that's, negates him from being in, in that echelon I don't know what it is Richie but you know it when you see it, it's it. McElroy right. had it Mickelson has it Nicholas had it Woods guys you will yeah. you will stop whatever it is you're doing because you know they're playing it's the way they swing the golf club it's the shots they take on it's their ability to, to you know rise to the challenge it's their ability to make big mistakes it's they give you a reason to watch now it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that is but there is something there and very few golfers actually have it mm. it's why a really interesting question actually America, why is it America has seemingly given us a, you know tons of those people over the last few years. Like, Scheffler is obviously going to be in that bracket too. No, um, no, 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 Scheffler's. Uh, no, no. Scheffler is dull. No. As di- like, if you're talking about press conferences even, like, Sheff- his are dull. Oh, sorry, we're agreeing. Sorry, I thought you were saying Scheffler was in the, no, na- no, 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 the, the no. list of no. names Dave just gave us. No, I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about the, 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 the boring sides. The Cantley side. That we've, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. had loads of. Yeah, the Cantley. Like, there's tons of them. Yeah. And, and America seems to be churning them out at a pace. It does. Over the last while. And I don't know what, what that might be down to. But, like, you even contrast that with somebody like, you want to watch John Ram playing, like, the Spaniard. Like, because he has that about him as well. 
uh, where you just feel like something could happen at any moment. Um, but I'd like, I don't know if it's an American thing, if it's the collegiate system, the way they've churned them out there, but it seems to be something in that country that's given us some right boring sods the last decade or so. Yeah, no, it's true. Look, who knows what makes a star? I look at McIntyre and I know he has it, but I can't explain why or what it is. It's the tan. Move on, please. <laughs> uh, Dave said, move on, please. So <laughs> we will do that. So Everton then, not happy with the uh, events on Merseyside yesterday. No, Everton have contacted the Professional Game Match Officials Board to register their unhappiness with the officiating during yesterday's Merseyside derby. Their 2-0 defeat at Anfield leaves them inside the Premier League's bottom three with six games remaining of their season. Everton are unhappy. The referee, Stuart Atwell, didn't give a penalty for a perceived foul on Anthony Gordon. Last month, Everton did receive an apology from the referee's chief, Mike Riley, following a complaint over decisions in their clash with Manchester City. And Frank Lampard felt they were denied a penalty yesterday. Well, it's a penalty in the second half for me. I don't... I don't think you get them here and I think probably if that's Mo Salah at the other end I think he gets the penalty and I'm not being um, trying to create conflict there I just think it's a reality of football sometimes maybe I played at clubs sometimes that were top eight reaches of the league and the crowd behind them and and you you do it you get them or you don't for me for for sure that was a a penalty uh, the second one on Anthony and it's a foul it's a clear foul Um, but you don't get them here I totally agree. I thought it was absolutely 100% definite penalty. He's just nudged over by Matip. He rins the race, gets ahead of him. It's nudged over. It's foul. Um, I mean, steps to, in front of him um, and asks I mean, for the push, to be fair. Yeah, um, and, but like that's football. Like If you win the foot race, then you're entitled to step across. And if a player bundles into the back here, it's free. And in this case, it's a penalty. You know? like I, people were saying, well, maybe the Keita dive was in the referee's mind. And so that's gone against Gordon. Maybe that was the case. But like a referee... And VAR needs to uh, do more there. I, I, VAR, I thought it was stone. VAR not having a look at it is, is possibly the, the biggest uh, gripe that that everything can have there. And I think justifiably so. The fact that it wasn't reviewed, I think, is is a huge question mark over that decision. Yeah. But again, if they're writing to the PGMOL about the officiating yesterday, like they're looking to have their cake and eat it in terms of the way they tried to fool Stuart Atwell throughout the course, particularly the first half. I mean, they're trying to make a mug of them and trying to bring that game down to its most base elements to try and get something out of it. And that's what everything needs to do, let's be honest. But they can't say that the officiating wasn't good enough when they were trying to make a mug out of the officials straight the first 45 minutes in particular. Well, it's kind of precarious now, to say the least. So uh, Burnley are in a good place and winning games. Everton are in the relegation zone with the game in hand. But it's really getting very scary at the moment for Frank Lampard and Everton. Uh, just one more, Rich, before you go. The Irish defeat at Welford Road. Yeah, Ireland head coach Greg McWilliams says his charges will stay positive despite that heavy defeat to England in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. The visitors conceded 59 points in the second half. They lost 69-0 at Welford Road. Senna Niopu received a second-half red card, while Dorothy Wall was also simbin. Ireland conclude their campaign against Scotland at Kingspan Stadium this coming Saturday. Dave, you uh, were at this game, Welford Road. Uh, Keen Tracy's along after eight. He was also at it and we were chatting to him earlier. He was making the point that when you were there, you could really appreciate the physical difference between the professionals and the non-professionals. Ireland were always going to lose this game. It was a case of how many. Turned out it was a lot. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's not wasn't quite the you know the doomsday scenario that many people had been anticipating before the game, but the, I thought Ireland did as well as they possibly could have done on the day. The quality of this England team was extraordinary, and the sheer size and power of their ball carriers, particularly their four prop forwards, the two that started the game, the two that come off the bench. Ireland don't have anyone that can carry the ball with that sort of purpose and the damage that uh, those four prop forwards can do. Um, there's a balance to be struck here between patronising this team by saying that losing by 69 points to any England team in any code is acceptable and, you know, praising them for the, the commitment that they showed and being overly praiseworthy in the way that they approach the game from start to finish and being fair to this team mm. because it's an impossible mm. task. They're being asked to do something that is literally impossible. They, I saw one of the players on Twitter today showing herself a photo of being back at work. They flew back last night at half seven. They're probably, some of them didn't get home till 10 or 11 in the evening. They will be hoping to maybe get some sort of recovery session in a pool somewhere close to their workplace this afternoon. England will have woken up together in their team hotel this morning. They'll have had done a recovery session. They probably have a team review session tonight. They're focusing on that France game at the weekend, the Grand Slam decider. You're, it's apples and oranges. And until Ireland are able to close the gap off the field, they will never have any chance of closing it on the field. This is an Ireland team that made over 200 tackles yesterday against the, one of the biggest, most physical teams in world rugby. And yet most of them would have had to get up and either attend lectures or go to work this morning. So until that gap is changed, it's very difficult to say um, anything overly negative or critical about this team because they looked happy enough after the game. And you could argue, well, why is a team that's lost by 69 to England looking happy? But they can look each other in the eye and they can genuinely say to each other that they left absolutely every fibre of their being on that field over the 80 minutes. And as long as you can do that, and if we're watching as sports fans expecting Irish uh, sports people playing with the country to do that I'm not sure what else we can ask of them until the pre preparation environment and the post-game environment changes utterly from top to bottom Okay fellas we'll have to leave it there Dave great to have you on appreciate it Thanks guys And Rich McCormick we will chat tomorrow Thanks Rich Nice lads